Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome into the studio Virginia Haywood. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning, and it's a lovely morning too. And yesterday was a gorgeous day too. I know, it's time for the garden. It certainly is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just about to go away, and I hate going away when my garden's booming, and I'm terrified it'll get hot and there's water. Well, so far so good. We've had a a bit of rain, so that's kept things ticking over. I'm pathetic though. I'm as attached to my garden as if I had a young child. (laughs) I can't go away in summer, I say to people. Oh, no, I can only go away in winter. No, you should go away in January, which is what you normally do. Yeah. Or February. When February, when, when it's even hotter. And the school kids are back. Yes, true, true. <laughs> we also have to say a very good morning to Chloe. Foster morning, Chloe. Good morning, Pam. I'm very happy to be in here this morning for a rest because I've been gardening a lot this week as well, <laughs> so I can sit down for a couple of hours. All right. The veggie garden's looking pretty good, so I put in a huge... Um, salad of tomato plants this year. Normally I just get the little punnets and and just put in one variety, but I decide to go for a, I want a big salad bowl that look of different tomatoes yeah, that this looks year. Good. So I put in a whole heap and I'll see you know a bit of research too, we'll see which one which ones do the best and okay. which ones fruit really well. So So are any of those heirlooms? Yeah, I've picked out a lot of heirlooms. They're just they're really cool. Mm. They've got cool colours like green zebra. Oh yes. It's and a good one. Yeah, at a couple of the, like the the black Russian mm, and is like it that black crim. Yes, one called mortgage lifter, which I just like oh, yes. the name of that one. <laughs> <laughs> and the little yellow, um, the little mini pear. Yes, they have. A, they're beautifully sweet little tomato, and they're well, really you won't cute be going too. Away over summer then? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm already thinking about. It. I'm like, okay, who can I get to water what the garden when I go away? <laughs> I'll, I'll pay someone. I don't care. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yes. Yeah. So the tomatoes went in, went in with zucchinis and some pumpkin and the strawberries from last year. I haven't mm. done strawberries before, but I left the strawberry plants in from last year and they're fruiting now. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. The other thing I put, I've put in is eggplants. I love growing eggplants. I haven't tried eggplants before. It's fantastic, especially if you is get the easy? thin ones. It's easy and it doesn't, I mean, you don't have to water it with that absolute regularity that you right. have to do tomatoes. What variety did you put in? I tend to put in the Lebanese ones because they're thin, so okay. they ripen more quickly. Bonica yes, the is big, a really the big ones variety. take ages to ripen, right. and uh-huh. you really would have needed to have got them in by now. And if you're going to get a, you know, a decent fruit off it, so put in the little thin ones. And you're depending on you. what the summer's like. I mean, they say we're going to have a hot summer, and that's good for an eggplant. Mm. Oh yes, but I find them easy to grow because they don't. You don't find that you haven't turned turned up for a couple of days, and they're not so dry that they're throwing their toes up, right. which tomatoes will do if it gets really hot. Well, I filled the space with tomatoes this year, so I'll try a couple of eggplants next year. <laughs> <laughs> and I put my banana peel at the bottom of the plant. Have you ever done that? For the potassium? Yeah. yeah excellent. Yeah, it's an, like my pa did it, so pa does it, I'll do it. He used to get it. He had a great veggie garden. Yep. So I, I just I, do I, 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 I collect like brown banana peels, and I went rummaging through the compost bin Absolutely. the other day too. <laughs> I don't eat 
um, bananas mm-hmm. much, but mm-hmm. my daughter eats them a lot. And anybody, if I see mm-hmm. anybody eating bananas, I grab them yep. at this time of year because mm. I like putting them around my camellias in winter. Ah, oh, right. Because well, they'll help flowering. In the um, elk and stag ferns, we've always put them oh, as yes, well. Yes, yeah, yes. They're Which really good for not for flowering, but it, it must be the potassium in there that, mm. that's good for them as mm. well. Well, you, you can also make a potassium tea just by steeping the banana skins in water in a bucket. Yeah, and maybe that for a week or two and then put that around. A nappy bucket, a bucket with a lid. Yeah. Yes, a bucket oh, yeah. with a lid. <laughs> Get a bit ripe after a few <laughs> yeah. days. Yeah. As regards your strawberries, mm. um, normally they say you need to, uh, strawberries are good for about three years, but I found that I just, I've just left mine keep going um, because the runners, I, I don't cut off yeah. the runners and I, the runners sort of plant themselves and refresh the whole thing. But um, that's what's happened with mine. Yeah, yeah, and so the, that's fine. Yeah, the plants from last year are pushing. I've got, some of the strawberries are starting to ripen up in mm. the last couple of days. Good. Um, the runners haven't put out fruit yet. But I, veggie garden is sort of something that's new to me. So the, the strawberries I just chucked in last year, thinking that they're in annual, but then they survived the winter. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to leave them in. Yeah, absolutely. no, no, they'll over And the they're really robust little yeah. plants now yeah. as well. I, I've got them in the garden. And I've, oh, right. I noticed one of the I've got quite a big one in the mm. garden, big leafed strawberry, and it's looking fantastic, and mm. it's going to fruit. But I imagine by the time I get back from New Zealand, it will have been somebody's dinner. <laughs> yeah, I've put a. Um, my pa made these. I used his veggie garden, so I made these these little fence things just out of some chicken wire, and you just take them off and like they're usually thrown in the back of the garden. But when I put the um, when I planted the strawberries last year, this little metal um, cover it is. I'm using hand gestures. That doesn't help people listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a foot high and about three by four feet mm. um, if it's um, surface area. So you just put that. I've just put that over. I've got six plants in. Okay. And that has saved. I haven't had anything eating or any birds come and eat the, yep. the fruit because well, I put that cover. And I've just kept it over all year. I didn't take it off over winter. Well, anything. I had real trouble last year with my pumpkins being eaten by what must have been rats. Yes. Oh, no. Mm. And I've got pumpkin seedlings. In fact, I should give you a couple because yep. I've got too many. And um, I just don't know where to put them or what to do because something has eaten all my beetroot. Oh, goodness. It has to be a rat because yep, nothing else can get into my vegetable garden, you know. It's raised. It's raised and it's fenced. Mm. However, rats can get through mm. anything. I think they're coming in through the shed and um, they ate. So I'd go, my beetroot sitting there looking beautiful with leaves mm. coming up, you know, and I go and I pick the beetroot out and there's a little bit at the top and all the rest and you can see it's been chewed and all the rest is gone. You can't get some, some narrow-gauge chicken wire to put over the top? Well, I'm going to have to. I'll do I what, think you're going to have yeah. to. I'll do what Chloe's grandpa's done. Yes, I yeah. think. Yes, it's the only thing. Th- make structures. Yeah, I have to make structures, but I'm not pleased. No. Not happy, no. Jan. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> we must say a very good morning also <coughs> to uh, Greg Balderson. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Pam. Oh, and I, you've come in at very short notice, yeah, which I'm I, very grateful for. I had for. a very late night last night too. <laughs> yes. I was, uh, my version of an exciting night out was down at uh, in the Otways, uh, photographing glowworms until about 10:30, and then driving all the way back to Romsey after that. So <laughs> I haven't had much sleep, but um, it was uh, a really nice day. It's beautiful down there with the rain you were saying before. Um, uh, you know, there's even fungi popping up you know, through the forest down there and all right. the wildflowers are out. So there's a bit of everything 
through the forest down there. It was Fantastic. amazing. Yeah. So does that mean the glowworms were in a cave? They normally, uh, they're the, normally in caves, aren't they? It was actually surprising. So we, it was at uh, Lake Elizabeth. Right. We went to and along the pathway and we uh, we got there at, at, during daylight, so we're looking along the sides of the track to see if we can find them so we know where they are to go back to later. And we're, you know, having trouble finding some of them. And we found a few spots, so we went up and walked around the lake whilst the sun was setting. And then on the way back, uh, walking along the track, and you turn your lamp off, and literally the whole landscape is just these little blue glowing lights everywhere. Wow. So they're, they're, they're concentrated on the banks that humans have cut in for the pathway, but they're also up into the bush too, obviously. They had to live somewhere before humans yes. cut tracks through the forest. Yes, of course. Um, so, yeah, once you turn the lights off and it's quite dark, you look up through these gullies and there's just these little blue lights all the way up through the gullies. It's, How a, it's absolutely amazing, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I didn't do very well photographing them because... Uh, uh, my big camera is not great, but uh, my friend got a couple of good photos, I think. So, um, yeah, so they're very, very interesting to see them because I've never seen them before. And um, and as I say, just a perfect day for it. It was not a breath of wind. There's been rain. Everything was fresh and green, mm. vibrant with all the wild. It wasn't freezing last night either. It wasn't that cold, no. no. no so, I mean, it wasn't warm, but... I was sitting on a wet footpath for about an hour <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> oh, dear. And it's very similar forest to the one I'm used to at Mount Macedon. And, but there's other animals there that I'm not used to. So there's a few different species of possum. Okay. I, I'm assuming they were possum, possums anyway. And it's like, what's that noise? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it was familiar, but there was a few... Uh, odd noises and and lots of different the birds were amazing just at, uh, at dusk, uh, at, at dusk yeah. and all through the day actually because before then we we're at um uh another waterfall sort of further down into the otways which i can't remember the name of at the moment but it it was uh completely still and just the birds all day were amazing there's just a cacophony of birds all day i would have thought day. that the otways was a lot damper than um than you were Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's a, a lot more, um, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons the glowworms are down there, and, uh, because, and you wouldn't get them up at because, Mount Macedon. Yeah, your Macedon forest is quite dry, sclerophyll, really, isn't it? Yeah, except for the southern valleys, which are a bit more uh, that cool climate rainforest, right. I guess. But yeah, um, but, but and the wildflowers are all in full bloom too. So there's the the forest is full of purples and and uh, yellows and whites and and um, the weekend before we went uh, hunting for uh, native orchids and saw the little flying duck orchids and, and um, yeah, there's a lot, lot happening out in the forest. Plus you get the rainfall and nice weather and you've got Well, I remember when I was at um, Burnley, they said that the rainforest from the Otway stretched right over the whole of Western Melbourne. And yeah. You know, that all that dry plain that we've got to the west of Melbourne, it was the Otways. You don't think of the Otways as very big, but the, the rain shadow of that is really quite yeah, extensive. Yeah. yeah. yeah including no, the whole of the Bellarine Peninsula mm, mm, as well. Yeah. And the, as you say, the you can in the Otways you can go for miles and it's almost the same forest you're going through. In Mount Macedon you can walk 500 metres and go from dry sclerophyll to wet, cool climate rainforest. Right. <laughs> right. And that's, I guess that's, a, that's why I like it, because you can go for a, you know, a 10 or 15k walk and go through about five different types of habitat. Um, 
uh, so that that's that's why it's my favourite place Mount Masson, but <laughs> but it's like to go down to the Otways too. It's an absolutely oh, yes. stunning, stunning area. Great, yeah. fantastic. With the, with the glowworms that you you found where they were yep. during the day, what do you look for? Uh, so they're on the on the side of the path in the banks, and you're looking for sort of slightly more damp areas with mm-hmm. moss and and uh, you know wet soil and things like that. And they often they were in little hollows, so there'd be like a little hole in the bank or a little bit where d- dirt had fallen out. Okay. And you'd look up underneath, and it was like um, a spider web, but they were little tendrils hanging down, and they had like dots of glue all the way down them. So that the worm. Like, no, the the worm actually hides up in the top, I think. Okay. So it makes this sort of uh, silk thread. Oh. And then they hang down like little chains, and then there's little dollops of glue on them, and mm. then they glow at night, and I'm assuming it's to attract something, like other little insects that get mm. stuck on their threads, and they go and eat them. Ah, oh, wow. So it's actually a lure, yeah. Okay. Um, but the result is at night time when you're walking along these paths and you turn the lights off, there's just these blue lights all through the forest. It's yeah. Would be amazing to see. It's pretty. It's pretty bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I went on a uni trip down to uh, the Otways, and we. But it was for we were studying fungi, so we didn't get to look at any of the um, find any glowworms. Did you see any glowing fungi? Because the Omphalotus nidiformis is down there too, and that. Well, that's a big fungi get... botanical word. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, that's the ghost fungus. So they they can get. You know, oh, no, we didn't 20 see centimetres that. across sometimes okay. and glow brighter than the glowworms. I only yeah. just passed fungi class. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it was, there's a lot of variety. Oh, it's such a diverse area. Yeah, down yeah. The yeah. And, and there was a lot of, so I, I think we probably found 20 or 30 species of fungi yesterday while right. we were down there and photographed a few of them. So, um, and ones that usually only find in autumn. And it's, you know, with a bit of spring rain and mm. up they come again. And yeah. there's a, you know, uh, quite a few different types of fungi that I was very surprised to find in November. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, I'm going to get to some community announcements because I've got quite a few to get through again this morning with with so much going on out in the uh, the gardening world. Uh, First up, uh, the next um, garden uh, guided walk, themed garden walk down at Geelong Botanic Gardens, um, is taking place this afternoon, two o'clock, um, and this one is entitled Roses of Love and War, and it's all about roses because they have a long and colourful history, um, having been symbols of love, beauty, war and politics. So you can meet the guide at the Geelong Botanic Gardens front steps at two o'clock this afternoon. Um, entry is gold coin donation, and you can discover the secrets of the Heritage Rose Garden down there. Now, also uh, on uh, today, uh, the Rose Society of Victoria got their spring show on, 10 a.m. this morning through until 4.30 this afternoon. This is at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, corner of Miller Street and Stevenson's Road in Mount Waverley. Entry is $5, concession is $4, and... uh, There's going to be uh, Rose Advice, of course, information, plant sales, refreshments. There'll be guest speakers and displays by regional Rose Gardens. So that's all happening today, 10 a.m. through till 4.30 p.m. today down at the Mount Waverley Community Centre. Now, also a reminder that uh, this weekend and next weekend... 
is uh, <coughs> Garden Design Fest. Now, um, today is uh, the uh, regional gardens, um, and uh, then next weekend is a Melbourne Metropolitan and also the Mornington Peninsula. Now, uh, <coughs> there was a bus trip organised yesterday out for the regional ones, and this includes um, Ballarat, Bendigo and Macedon, but those gardens are open again today. You would need to go to their website to get a list of all the gardens that are open in the Ballarat, Bendigo, Macedon area. Uh, so just go to gardendesignfest.com.au and up will come all those gardens. But then next weekend is when uh, they have the gardens in the metropolitan area and the Mornington Peninsula. Again, you can go to their uh, website to see a list of those gardens. But there are also... Um, Bus tours arranged. Now, on next Saturday, it will be Metropolitan Melbourne Gardens, and then next Sunday, it will be the Mornington Peninsula Gardens. So all the information for these are up online on their website. Now, you can uh, buy, purchase a single garden entry, and depending on the size of the garden, the prices will be $5, $8, or $12, or you can get um, um, a full ticket, uh, for um, uh, for all the gardens, which will cover um, all of next weekend uh, uh, for $80, or for the rural gardens today, all the gardens for $40. So those tickets are also available up online, as are the costs for the bus trip and bookings for that for next weekend. For the Melbourne Metro, $170. For Mornington Peninsula, $195. So uh, for all that information, just go to gardendesignfest.com.au. This event only takes place once every two years and it is a chance to meet all the garden designers. They will be in the gardens they have designed. So you're able to uh, ask them lots of questions about their design, their plant choice, etc., um, so it's a, it's a wonderful festival and the proceeds go to support um, Q Rotary's um, many charities that they're supporting for this 12 months. Now, up on the 14th of November, the Sunshine Golden Age Garden Club are having their November meeting and uh, their guest speakers are Penny Woodward and Karen Sutherland. They're going to be talking about knowing sowing and growing tomatoes. This is in response to uh, the uh, book entitled Tomato that uh, they've just published and we'll be talking about uh, that a lot more, that book, uh, next Sunday on this program. But if you'd like to go along and hear them at the Sunshine Golden Age Garden Club, as I say, they're meeting um, on the 14th. The venue is Glengala Community Hall which is on the corner of Glengala Road and uh, Simi Street in West Sunshine. And uh, the meeting will be commencing at 7.30pm. Everyone is welcome for that one. Uh, now, uh, uh, I mentioned that um, coming up next Sunday, the 18th of November, the Selvia Society have got their annual plant sale. Now, this is taking place at Nobelius Heritage Park, which is in Crichton Road in Emerald. Now, it's open 11.30, running through till 3 o'clock, free entry for that one, and I would imagine there will be a huge range of salvias um, there for sale and on display. 
Um, if you'd like more information, you can go to their website, salvias.org.au. It's um, really interesting place to go, I think. I love looking. I was there just recently. Okay. And it's Puffing Billy goes through there. Oh, right. And there's along where the line is, there is just this mass of ixias just planted, in, and they're all out in flower, and they've just completely naturalised. And it must, it's the whole length of the station. It's a very long station. Right. It's, and it looks quite spectacular. So if you go to the salvia sale, as well as walking through the salvia beds, and there's lots of beautiful old trees because it's a um, turn of the previous century nursery. Okay. And so there's beautiful old trees there. And um, go up to the Puffing Billy. It's, it's fairly steep. You know, it's a valley. And have a look along the rail track. There are so many ixias out, and they look absolutely stunning. Although I must admit, Greg, there wasn't a single um, duck egg blue one. No. You don't seem to see the blue no, ones they're... ever. No. I, I think, um, <clears throat> like we were saying before, the uh, the duck egg blue ixia can multiply quite well from its bowls, but the the ones that you see naturalised must eat a little bit to to move around. Um, but certainly if you disturb the soil, then you'll get big populations of them coming up very quickly. Like mm. oxalis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Except um, they're much prettier than oxalis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the they're still weedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So they, even through up around Malden and places where it's really harsh and um, you get the ixias, a few species of ixias, and just travelling around Victoria over the last month or so, is, there's tritonias, uh, naturalised on the side of the road in a few spots, white ones and and um, uh, yeah, the the ixias. I usually see the yellow one, yellow the, and the, the pink and the red. It. I find, yeah, yeah. But you don't see the white one. And that um, viridiflora, which I've put on a photo of that on Facebook, and I think I did last week as well, because it is just an absolutely stunning ixia, mm. and you never see that around. You gave me that, in fact. Yeah, and I have trouble growing that myself. The, the, the straight species viridiflora, because it seems to not like something I do to it. I'm not sure what it is, but it gets sort of a rusty... Well, I've yeah. put it in three sections of the garden, mm. and it's doing really well. And it, just to describe it, it is a quite a bright turquoise blue with a large centre, which is absolutely navy. So mm. it's quite a stunning flower. You mm. know, people just can't believe it's real. Mm. Yeah, it's a very strange colour. I think if you're actually after to buy one of those, I would try Tonkin's bulbs up in Colorama. Um, oh, right, Tonkin's, Calorama. yes, yep. me. Mm. Um, so I, Jane usually sells that, I think. So uh, if, if you're after the straight viridiflora, I think that's probably the place to try. Well, I have never seen... I've haven't checked Tonkins, but I've never seen it for sale. Yeah, I, I've sold it a few times. So the funny thing is I had it for years and did really well with it. And when I started the nursery, I, for the first two years I sold it. And um, they weren't cheap either. I was selling them for a decent price. Um, and the year after I sold this, I think the second year I dug them up, sold a heap of them. And then the following year I, I probably had 100 bulbs or so or 150 bulbs. And something went through them, this rusty sort of stuff went through them, and the next year when I dug them up, I had ten. Oh, no. <laughs> and, I, and they haven't really recovered since. Yeah. yeah, but you said to me to be very careful not to let them get wet in summer. Yeah, I think they're one that's fairly susceptible to uh, any moisture when they don't want it. But I, I don't think that's it entirely. I think there's something else. Um, 
Not really sure, but uh, I know well, uh, you, your, yours do well out in, in the ground. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, I and think that's probably I've where they'd like it, rather because I've got them in pots so I can yes, get keep hold them, of them So quickly. maybe they just don't like that. Yeah. No, I've got them in the ground, and because of what you said, I put them at the front and the back, and the front, which is west, mm. is much tougher. Mm. It gets the north wind and it gets the north and west sun. Yeah. So I figure that that will bake them and they should be happy there. Yeah. Mm. It's always a good idea with especially rare bulbs. As soon as you can, split the clump and put them in two different places because so you, yes. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. You never know when you <laughs> might need backup. And and often, especially for the really rare stuff, um, giving them to someone else is is a good option too. Mm. Um, so I've got the Gladiolus citrinus, which is extinct in the wild. And it's this, it looks like a Sternbergia or a little yellow crocus, a strange little gladioli. No markings on it, it's just a, a straight yellow trumpet that faces up and there's only two flowers per stem and quite short. Um, and the and, wild is where? Uh, is South Africa, it's one yeah, of the one South, South African ones. I'm not exactly sure whereabouts, but I know that the habitat that it did used to live in is pretty destroyed. much gone. Mm. Yeah. Um, so they're extinct in the wild and uh, for many years, I just every year I'll put a couple aside and send them to someone who I know loves bulbs and and in that so to try and you know because you don't see them you never see them for sale anymore yes no. I got mine off Stephen when I was 14 okay <laughs> so um uh yeah it's, and it's just a good idea if you've got something really rare to share it's, it's actually quite absolutely important. yeah, yeah. Well, helps preserve them on that we could always dig some of mine up and I give them back to you yeah, I've still got a couple, uh, um, and I don't want to kill any more. So if they're doing well at your place, I know if I do ever want them, I can That's where come they and are. get you. <laughs> and of course, the other one that I think comes from it, the duck egg blue ixia. Yeah, that yeah. is now for the turning up for sale. Yeah, which it didn't yeah. when I first got it, which again I think I got it from you. Mm. Yeah. And then after I got some from Greg, I thought they were so beautiful. I had to have more, so I'd watch for them everywhere. Yeah. And just didn't see them, whereas so now they're turning up they're, for they're sale. St- yeah, well, they multiply really well. They're much stronger growers, yes. and they're also quite big, too. I've had them flowering at home nearly uh, up to five or six feet tall. Oh, um, wow. They're so, not that t- Oh, so, no, I suppose they're four foot tall yeah, like mine. Yeah, they, yeah. They can, so they vary from uh, the shortest three foot up mm. to sometimes I've had them at six feet or something like that, yeah. And they're absolutely beautiful. Okay, <laughs> back to the community announcements. <laughs> Sorry, Pam. That's right. I love Ixias. I do get distracted. <laughs> yeah. You love any plant in Virginia. <laughs> okay, um, I must mention uh, Open Gardens Victoria have got two open gardens coming up next weekend. Now, the first one is in Leongatha, and this is uh, Glenbar Garden. It's situated on more than two acres with lovely views out to the surrounding countryside. It's a well-established garden that has evolved gradually over the past 39 years. And what started as a garden bed around the base of a tree has over time consumed a cow paddock and become a passionate project for the owners. Now, um, it's at peak flowering time in November with masses of roses, salvias and other colourful perennials. There's deciduous trees such as liquid amber, golden elm and a collection of Japanese maples. And uh, the garden features stone walls, a stream, a lily pond and is connected through a series of winding gravel paths. So uh, Glenbar is at 48A Par Street, P-A-R-R, Par Street in Leongatha. Open both Saturday and Sunday next weekend, 10 till 4.30. Entry is $8, children under 18 free, students $5, and there will be uh, refreshments available in that one. 
Now, the other garden that's opening next weekend, also for Open Gardens Victoria, is Zeebel's Farmhouse Garden in Laylor. Now, this is, um, is a garden that it's heritage-listed property. Um, it was created by the Zeebel family, and it remains largely uh, intact. It's within the historic Westgarth Town Pioneer Precinct in the city of Whittlesea. Uh, it was first established in 1850 by the pioneering German immigrant family uh, that bears its name. There are uh, large informal gardens. Um, they combine flowers, roses, shrubs, fruit trees and a vegetable patch. There's a semi-formal flower garden at its centrepiece. Now, the farmhouse and the outbuildings are included on Victoria's Heritage Register and Zeebel's farmhouse and heritage site is of national and state significance. Um, so uh, since uh, uh, volunteers have been uh, restoring the project, um, they've managed to oversee the documentation of the garden, including a comprehensive conservation analysis and management plant now, uh, plan. Now, visitors can also explore the other areas of Westgarth Town Pioneer Precinct, which includes the 1850s Thomastown Lutheran Church and Westgarth Town Lutheran Cemetery. Now, Zeebel's Farmhouse Open Garden is at German Lane in Laylor. It'll be well signposted. Again, open next Saturday and Sunday, 10 a.m. through to 4.30. And again, entry is $8, children under 18 free, students $5.00. And refreshments are also available there. So once again, I have one free double pass to each of those gardens to give away. Um, one to uh, Glenbar in Leongatha, the other one to Zeebel's Farmhouse uh, Garden in Laylor. Uh, so the first two listeners who like to phone in uh, on 94190155 can each get um, a double pass to one of those gardens, thanks to the very kind people at Open Gardens Victoria. Now, uh, also coming up next weekend, now this is going to be a huge event, and this is a first. Uh, this is um, Yarra Valley Plant Fair and Garden Expo. Now, they're hoping to turn this event into an annual event, uh, but as I say, the very inaugural first one is coming up next weekend. The address is 125 Quail Road in Wandon, and anyone who's been to the Herb and Chili Festival, it's at the same location. So, uh, so this time they're starting, they're trying to start up a plant fair and garden expo, and they've got so much on the program. It's uh, going to be an amazing weekend. There's going to be lots and lots of stalls covering all different um, specialty growers, um, covering things like um, garden implements, irrigation. Uh, there's going to be lots of food stalls, but there's also going to be a huge range of speakers. There's uh, two different stages operating. Uh, on the seesaw stage on the Saturday, we've got Tino Carnavali from Gardening Australia, uh, Nigel Ruck from the Garden Gurus, James Wall from 3AW and Garden World. And then on the Sunday, um, Nigel Ruck again, uh, James Wall, Pete the Permi and Attila Capitani. Now the second stage is the permaculture stage and there's going to be some extensive presentations 
uh, over the two days for these. Um, on the Saturday, there'll be uh, talks on what is permaculture design, bush foods and survival plants, what is a food forest versus an edible forest garden. Now, that's an interesting topic. Um, netted enclosures, heritage fruit tree varieties and how to design a wicking bed. And on the Sunday, there's, uh, again, similar things, permaculture design, bush foods and survival plants, using herbs for food, medicinal and preventative purposes, uh, keeping chickens in the backyard, uh, winter versus summer pruning of fruit trees and the zero waste concept and how to apply it to gardening. So a very interesting um, range of presentation talks there uh, for anyone who uh, does go up to the festival and I do strongly recommend it. I think it's going to be a wonderful two days out there. Um, now it's, uh, it opens at 10am, runs through to 5 o'clock on both days. So as I say, next Saturday and Sunday and the address again is 125 Quail Road in Wandon. Now you can um, book tickets online or you can also get tickets at the gate. Um, Pre-purchased tickets online are actually discounted. Um, otherwise, as I say, you can get tickets on, at the gate on the days. Um, but if you want to get pre-purchased uh, discounted tickets, you go to www.yarravalleyplantfair.com.au. So that's yarravalleyplantfair.com.au. And again, the organisers of this have um, given us one free double pass to give away. So uh, the first person who'd like to grab hold of that to ring in on 419-0155 can uh, grab that free double pass to the Yarra Valley Plant Fair and Garden Expo. That's just near my place. <clears throat> you go, it's on the Warburton Highway. So you go to right. Lilydale and then just straight out on the Warburton Highway and it's halfway between Wandon and Seville. Okay. Well, and the other thing is that if you're going out to that, um, on the day, on both, no, only on the Sunday, there's also a bonsai sale day and display at Wandon North, at, in the Wandon North Public Hall on Warburton Highway. It's on the corner of Clegg Road, um, which is at the roundabout, Millway's Reference 119C1112. Uh, so uh, that bonsai uh, sale day and display will open from 10am through to 1 o'clock. So you could combine the two. And, of course, there'll be lots of bonsai trees, starters, nursery stock, pots, uh, books and tools, bonsai size soil, um, pine bark and orchid pots in various sizes. So um, you could really make a great day or a great weekend um, up there next weekend at Wandon. Excellent. Just uh, a couple more that I really <coughs> must get through. Um, <coughs> encouraging women in horticulture for their final event for the year. We've got a self-drive event. This is taking place next Saturday, 17th of November. Uh, first up, they're going for a visit to Merrywood Plants, which is at 91 Lower Somerville Road in Baxter. Uh, they meet at 10 a.m. there. Uh, there'll be morning tea, tour and a talk. And, um, 
And, uh, of course, Merrywood supplies the horticultural industry with an extensive range of formal and informal espaliers, from scented blooms and small shrubs to fruit <coughs> trees. Um, so, uh, so that would be a wonderful uh, nursery to have a look of. And then they, the tour departs Merrywood Plants at 11.30. Uh, they go at 12 to the Royal Hotel, 77 Esplanade in Mornington, time to relax and a delicious lunch with other members and guests. And then at 1.30 they will head off to Morningstar Estate, which is at 1 Sunnyside Road in Mount Eliza. 2 o'clock there for a tour, talk and afternoon tea. And uh, Morningstar Estate has extensive gardens surrounding the main mansion and they have over 700 varieties of ornamental roses. Wow. Um, I've actually been there. Sounds and it's, wonderful. It is stunning, absolutely stunning. I do recommend it to everyone. Uh, the garden consists of an elaborate fountain and sunken garden, extensive plantings of David Austin rose varieties and iceberg roses, um, Lots of heritage uh, roses there too. So this will be um, a wonderful event. It is a free event for members of Encouraging Women in Horticulture. For non-members, $20. Students, $15. Lunches at the expense of um, each attendee. But you do need to register by tomorrow. And uh, to register, you go to events at EWHA. .com.au so that's events at ewha.com.au and uh, just finally one more that I will mention is that Friends of Burnley Gardens have got a plant sale coming up on Wednesday 21st of November 12 through till 3pm down at Burnley Gardens of course Um, you can choose from a selection of native and exotic deciduous and evergreen trees and shrubs, perennials, bulbs, succulents, indoor and food plants. The location is outside the Student Union building. Parking is on Yarra Boulevard there. And uh, this time they've put up a full list, uh, plant list on their website, which is wonderful. You can peruse that before you actually turn up to the plant sale. The website is uh, fobg.org. And just a note that payments are by cash only. They usually have some really unusual Mm. plants and they always have really good salvias. Mm. Yeah, huge selection. Mm. Mm. And one more, Chloe, that we really should mention because this is is being run by the Friends Group down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. They've got um, a half-day workshop coming up. It's entitled Australian Alpine and Subalpine Plants and the Threat of Sambar Deer. Now, um, it's taking place on Sunday, 25th of November, 9.30am for a 10am start. It's being held in the Australian Garden Auditorium at Cranbourne Gardens out at uh, corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne. Now, 9.30, you start the morning with refreshments, tea, coffee and big. Then at 10 o'clock, the first session, um, Neville Walsh, who's the Senior Conservation Botanist at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria. Uh, Neville spent a lot of time in the high country and he'll be providing an overview of the flora up there. The second session, Megan Hurst, who's the Seed Bank Officer for Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria Conservation Seed Bank. Meg will be talking 
about the beautiful alpine daisies that she's studied in detail. Then there'll be coffee and a tea break. <clears throat> Third session is Bronnie Swartz and Matt Henderson. They're horticulturalists at Cranbourne and will reveal plans for displaying subalpine plants in the Australian Garden at Cranbourne under the title Subalpine Plants in the Australian Gardens, Current and Future. And the fourth and final session uh, will be Zach Walker, who's a research officer at the Research Centre for Applied Alpine Ecology at La Trobe University. And he'll <coughs> look at the impacts of sandbar deer on some of the threatened alpine plant communities on the Bogong High Plains, and the day should finish at 1 p.m. Now, the costs, if you're members, uh, member of the Friends Group, $30, non-members, $40, students, $15. Bookings are essential. Uh, just go to www.rbgfriendscranbourne.org.au or you can email bookings at rbgfriendscranbourne.org.au for that one. They've pulled out the big guns for that Alpine workshop. They have, Yes, indeed. there's some very smart people going to present. So thank you for the reminder. Yeah. I do need to book because I really am going, I'm going and I want to go to that. It sounds so, interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's, Victoria has an incredible, well, we do have an incredible flora, but the Alpine flora is a lot more diverse than just um, snow gums, which we sort of see. There's, there's so many, there's just so much. Um, that, and we, you, you don't usually see because we usually see images of it covered in snow. Um, yes. But, you know, over summer, and the friends are doing a, a trip up to Mount Hotham again in January to have a look at the flora. So um, that would yeah. be good. Yes, the, the Alpine Flora Workshop will be a little taste tester. I think for everyone. So. And the deer is such a problem. Yeah, it I is. mean, round me mm. in the Yarra Valley, so many of my friends up there are having terrible trouble. I don't. They're get starting them to shelf up the mount too. I'll send them in the for- at night time in the forest, and it's like I don't know that sound. What's that? And it's, really? it's deer at Mount Macedon. Yeah, and, um, and it's fairly new, is that? I would say uh, in the last couple of years, to a degree where I've run it, keep running into them and see the damage they're doing along some mm. of the. Uh, like up the Beringo Valley, which is, there's no tracks or anything up there for miles, and you walk down along one of the creeks there in the middle of the forest, and what used to be beautiful moss-covered sort of silt in the in one of the valleys is now just mushed up with. They're yeah. incredibly destructive to the yeah. ground. Yeah, especially in those soft areas because yep. they're the ground. It's just not used to that. It's mm. used to yeah. soft, padded they've, they've wallabies of, and things. Yeah. yeah, they've done a lot of damage around Wilson's Prom for a number of years. Yeah, as well. Um, you know, Wilson's prom's got that narrow opening, so they can't. You know, it's a bit hard to herd them out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's an issue. They're spreading. Yeah. Um, there's they're saying there's over a million in the state now. Right. So the speaker, and I mean Meg from Salvia Meg, she has trouble with them. And it was the Upper Yarra Valley Garden Clubs open last weekend, and every garden I visited. They have trouble with deer, yeah, every single so garden. Th- they like the fresh, juicy, herbaceous plants and in the um, in the Macedon Ranges and up in the Victorian Alpine regions, all the cute little things that you know are hidden underneath the snow gums and the yeah. other gums are all the cute little herbaceous plants, and that's what they eat, and that's the, yeah, that's the diversity that they're, that they're threatening, yeah. I suppose. So, yeah, so that'll be very interesting. Okay. Yeah, that workshop will be great. Um, just to uh, to let listeners know that all those free double passes have gone, so um, you have to be quick. <laughs> <coughs>
Yes, okay. Um, I'm just waiting for um, a call to come up online because um, we're going to be... I mentioned last weekend uh, that uh, this weekend is a very special open uh, day or open weekend, actually, because it started yesterday uh, for Urimbeen Historic Homestead and Gardens. And uh, we're going to be talking to uh, the owner, uh, Sarah Beaumont, because uh, there's a lot happening and it's a very interesting garden. So we'll go now and uh, have a word to Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. Hello, Pam. How are you this morning? We're all really well. And um, thank you for talking to us because you must be very busy. Oh, we are busy, and but we had an absolutely brilliant day yesterday, so lots of visitors to the garden. Oh, that's good to hear, and the weather's been so kind oh, to you, too. the weather too. has been beautiful. Yes. So, so it rained a bit up here during the week, mm-hmm. uh, which freshened the garden up beautifully, and perfect. now today, oh my goodness, it's going to be perfect. Right. Absolutely perfect. Right. Now, Sarah, you're, you're out near Beaumont. Um, tell us firstly um, a little bit about the actual homestead. Now, it's listed as historic. When when did it first get built and who were the original owners? And yes, so it was, it was built in 1862 mm-hmm. and it was built by the Beggs family, so a big sort of uh, agricultural family in the Western District. Um, and it was added on to in the 1920s and early 30s. And when they made the additions to the homestead, they commissioned Edna Walling to design the garden. Fantastic. So it's got an incredible Edna Walling garden, which wasn't in such great shape when we got here, but we've restored it. So all of our um, gate takings for the weekend go towards further restoration on the garden. So if people are gardeners and want to come and have a look at my beautiful garden, they're very welcome today. How extensive are the gardens, Sarah? It's three acres. Oh, I don't know gosh. what that is. In, yeah, so it's a big garden. Yes. Uh, and I used to live right in the middle of Melbourne in Brunswick, so I had a tiny little courtyard garden. Oh. So, this, <laughs> so this is a bit of a change of pace. It sure is. Sure, but I absolutely adore it. It's a beautiful garden. Oh, and it's so good that, that, that uh, Edna's... Um, you know, creativity and design has been restored and maintained because so often these gardens disappear over time. Oh, that, that's absolutely right. They either disappear or people do sort of renovations on them and just pull them And they're pull not in keeping, yes. Exactly. So this is really, really original. And we've even gone to the extent of extending the lower walling gardens or restoring those. They, were, they had just disappeared over time um, and we've put them back exactly to her design. So it's a full restoration of one of her most magnificent gardens. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, Sarah, you're actually going to be leading some garden tours today. I am. The garden tour, uh, there's two garden tours, one at 11 and one at 2, but they've all sold out, Pam. Oh, have but, they? But you can still come to the garden and okay. wander around. Yep. And I'll be in the garden, so if people have got questions, they can sort of ask me. Okay. Plus, there's a load of other things. Oh, happening. there's so, so much. Look, let, let's, mm. let's talk about some of the things that are happening in the garden. So there's artists in the garden who are sort of painting, uh, just looking at the gardens and painting those, and then there's a silent auction uh, at 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, then we've got food vendors, we've got uh, craft beer, we've got wine, oh, lovely food. There's a big display down in the wool shed, a wedding display, and a florist who's talking about using sort of Edna-style 
flowers in um, floristry, so it's just all happening. Goodness. And then, and then there's just enough wandering around the garden, really, and having a look. It's probably a bit more like a garden festival, really, than it is just an open Sounds garden. Sounds like a festival. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> and, and, and just to throw it in, you've also got uh, live music happening in the garden. Yes, we do. We've given um, quite a few sort of emerging artists an um, opportunity to play in the garden so they're sort of positioned around the gardens um, under the trees today because it's going to be quite warm I think. Yes. You know, yeah so it's, like, it's a lovely setting and then we sort of in between those artists playing we just play some lovely classical music usually pia- piano sonatas and oh. everybody just Sounds <laughs> absolutely delightful yeah, What are you doing at studio? You should be here. <laughs> yes I know I know I'm locked in here just looking at four walls it's not fair. And three beautiful faces Pam. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah, yeah of course of course. <laughs> Now, Sarah, um, if people want to come up today, um, firstly, what times you open? We start at 10 o'clock in right. the morning and then we finish at 4. The garden closes at 4. Um, so there's loads of time to just jump in the car and drive up. How long, um, how long would it take roughly to come from Melbourne out there? It, oh, it's under two hours. Right. Under, yeah, so you'd, you'd sort of be out of your door in Melbourne and in our gate uh, in under two hours. Oh, and that's it, wonderful. Yes. What's, you better give out the actual address. So it's 232 Urambeam, which is a really crazy word to try and spell, which is E-U-R-A-M-B-E-N, Streatham Row, just past Beaufort. Okay. Yeah, and so is it going to be well-signed posted? Uh, yes, it's got lots of signage uh, on the highway and also as you sort of exit the highway to come. Which highway? It's the Western Highway. So if you're coming from Melbourne, you head as if you're coming to Ballarat, but you just keep going. Um, as if you're going to Hamilton, you'll go through a little township called Beaufort, a gorgeous little township, and then we're just seven k's out of that, and then you'll see the exit with the, with the signage and everything. So it's a really easy drive. I've just a looked really it up nice on Sunday Google Maps, drive. Sarah, and it is yeah. just off the Western Highway. That's it. It's the road That's off right. the Western off the Western yeah. Highway, okay. so it's easy. To, it is easy to get it's to. It's really easy to yeah. get to, and it, it's a pretty quick sort of freeway drive. So it's worth coming. Mm. Mm. And I'm intrigued about about the artists actually. Being in the garden, painting the garden today, I, I hope they don't mind people looking over their shoulders. No, actually, though, well, we had that happening yesterday as well. Right. And they really enjoyed it. So they had, you know, they were having lots of conversations with people um, about what they were doing and what they were, what they were painting and the style they were using. It was just, they loved it. They're pretty outgoing, the artists that we've got here. So I think they'd have to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, and they produced some beautiful work, so I'm... Um, I'm sure I'm going to end up buying a couple at the silent auction to put in our homestead. But they're just really lovely. It's about so nice to see artists working outside and just working from scratch. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's just magic. So suddenly these sort of images appear on um, their canvases or paper and you just think, wow, how did they do that? Mm. It's incredible. And, gorgeous. and the the food and wine and beer, you've, you've, you've emphasised that, that most of it is local. It's coming from local yes. producers. Yes, it is, definitely. That's and great. So you're yeah, supporting the local absolutely. people as well. Yep. Absolutely. And we're, um, <clears throat> we're collecting for the local RSL on the gate today because it's the 11th of the 11th. Right. Um, so we'll have a, a minute silence at 11 o'clock. Yes. Um, we'll all be wearing poppies. And there Good. Some pop- there's some poppies that have come out in the garden just in time. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's absolutely lovely. Yeah, so we try as much as we can to support the local community and 
Um, we had the local school choir yesterday and all our artists are local. So, yeah, it's really, it's wonderful. Oh, it, it sounds like a really great event, Sarah. Well, I hope that you, a lot of people... Uh, can feel inspired to jump in their cars and head out today because it'd be wonderful. Yes, and we only open every two years, so okay. if they miss it today, they'll have to wait for... So two another, whole years, so... Uh... Two whole years, 2020 is the next day. Okay, okay. <laughs> now, we should mention prices. It's $15 to get in the gate. Okay. And free, and free for kids. Fantastic. Very reasonable, given all that's going on in the garden today. Well, exactly. There's lots of entertainment happening. And, of course, it's in a great cause to uh, to go towards uh, more restoring of exactly. the Edna Walling exactly. Garden. Exactly. Exactly. And there's probably, I think, we're going to start on doing a part of the garden that wasn't designed by Edna, but is in honour of Edna, yes. which is a native garden, because, as you, I'm sure you know, Pam, towards the end of her career, she became a great advocate of... Um, Indigenous plants she and using did. those in the garden. So we just kind of want to take the story of the garden that one step further. Right. And just have a lot of Indigenous plants. Because we have accommodation at the homestead, yep. um, we often get international visitors and they ask us about Australian plants. Right. Good. So they come to, they come to look at the Walling Garden, but they also ask, you know, what, what are the Australian plants that you have here? Yes. And I would love to be able to show them some. Yes. No, that's a wonderful idea, I Thank think, you. Sarah. Great. Thank you. Okay. Well, look, all, all the very best for today. I hope the whole Thank weekend um, remains a, a great success. I'm, I'm pleased to hear that you had so many people out there yesterday. And, yes, and it was terrific. Fantastic. And thanks for talking to us, to oh, us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Pam. It's wonderful. Okay. Good on you, Take Sarah. Take care. Bye. Enjoy your, enjoy your day. Bye-bye. Okay, well, uh, we're going online. We should uh, also go to uh, our very good friend, Sue Stevens, who's uh, from Bushland Flora. Good morning, Sue. Hi, good morning, Pam and Virginia and Chloe and Greg Bolden. Hi, Sue. Hi, How Sue. are you all? Excellent. We're all well. beautiful morning here. Great. It is beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I was just telling a friend before I was heard all this turmoil outside and... Uh, I don't often get kookaburras, and a kookaburra sat on the fence, obviously near a bird's nest, and the birds were going crazy. Oh, <laughs> dive bombing! away. Yes. Um, I'm ringing up because we're actually having our sale um, next Saturday. Right. Um, oh, good. We're only having one this year because we've actually sold so much stuff that we haven't got enough for two weekends. <laughs> You're too popular. <laughs> yeah. So um, next. Saturday from 8 o'clock until 4 o'clock at Bushland Flora, which is on, uh, sorry, 110 Clegg Road in Mount Evelyn. Right. And uh, so we've got our markdown stock. Um, I think it's about $455 for the six-inch pots and mm-hmm. then um, $657 for the eight-inch pots. But we've actually got a lot of... Um, uh, the leftover of the batches too of, of our new ranges and I noticed the other day we've got our couriers, our new courier um, chimes range, quite a few of those for sale in our uh, normal section which are $7.50 for the 6 inch pots. Some really lovely bigger plants too for sale, beautiful um, uh, specimens, Kings Park special in flower in um, 8 inch pots, just delightful. And so I might... was very tempted. I actually spent money there on Friday myself. <laughs> Sue, so mm. we must point out that you're just you're just between 
Mount Evelyn and Wandon, so that if people are going up to Wandon, your nursery is just out of Wandon. Yes, that's right. So there's the, um, is it at Larkman's, I think, their ground in Quarry yes, Road, it is. the yes. Yarra Valley Festival. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And Sue, um, can you take payment by credit card or is it cash only? No, cash only we have there, but you can do a bank transfer, like by your phone or um, on the computer. Right. Yeah, uh, but we don't have FPOS. Yeah. Okay, okay. So that's 8 o'clock through till 4 o'clock next Saturday. That's right. And, Virginia, I got you a ground cover white campanula as your plant from Steels Creek yesterday. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> no, I it was a lovely day out there. They have the Garden Club um, once a year has a, uh, a flower show, and I miss out every year because it falls on the Saturday of our sale. So I was very excited to go up there um, yesterday because they have a propagation group that grows... Um, uh, quite, a, quite a lot of really beautiful plants and things like that so it was great yeah, and also the um, Chloe's there too the lady that was selling the tubes at Bev Fox's garden had her uh, native tubes there for sale too oh right did you pick up a couple I did I didn't <laughs> well she's done. actually doing the people that love Australian natives the uh, Hillsville has got a market on the, uh, I think it's the weekend of the 24th, on the Friday and the Saturday. She's actually selling tube stocks, tube stock of native plants. And she used to have a, um Indigenous plant nursery that was in Yarra Glen years ago. Okay. And I think she does it all from home. Beautiful, uh, quite rare Australian native plants, some of them. Really, really lovely. So That's I picked good. up a, a little grevillea. I'm not sure what it's called. It's got like a leaf, like a bit like a Leptobotrys, but with a cream flower. Ooh. And the oh. upright Dewentia that's got the fine leaf with the electric blue flowers off her oh, yesterday. The, um, is it Dewentia or Veronica arenaria? No, but yes. Yeah. Correct. And Veronica one. Yeah, the Grevillea yeah. might be Grevillea sinophae. It isn't. It's a different oh. one. But it's like that. Um, does it have it a real? That, does the flower have a very good, very nice scent to it? Oh, okay. Yeah, they're lovely. All those ones. I yeah, had some one. of those creamy ones to me smell like custard tarts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah keep Yummy. Oh. Keep your nose out for it. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to find a nice. You should see all my stash. <laughs> I think I'm going to be investing in more pots. <laughs> Just buy a bigger garden. It's you'll be oh. fine. Okay, then. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for that, Sue. Okay. See ya. Bye. Bye. If you'd uh, like to uh, jump on the phones this morning, we are running through until 9.15, so uh, plenty of time to uh, phone in and ask a gardening question this morning. The number to ring is 94190155. We have Chloe Foster, Virginia Haywood and Greg Balderson in the studio, so... We'd love to hear from you this morning, 94190155. Greg, let's talk about some of the plants you've brought in. Well, I've brought in probably two of my favourite plants ever today that just happened to be in flower. Yeah, we timed it well. Yeah. (laughs) So the reason they're my favourite plants is because of their morphology and what they've evolved to do to trick pollinators and just the amazing thing that they do while they're flowering. Um, one stinks a lot and the other one smells really good. So, um, I guess I'll start with the, the good smelling one. Yep. 
which is a species of gladiolus called gladiolus lilaceus. The first time I ever saw this bulb was at the Mount Macedon uh, Rare Plant Fair uh, many years ago. Right. Uh, it was probably the first year I had my stall there, I think. Okay. Um, and I was setting up the stall late at night, and after I'd finished, it was about 10 o'clock at night. And, and I, what, the perfume hit you? Well, I didn't have them. They, they, I, yep. Yeah, so I'd never seen them before, and I thought I'd just take a quick look around at the other stall holders before I went home. Yep. And I walked past uh, Jane and Shirley Tonkin's stall, and there's this beautiful purple gladiolus there, this little species gladi, and it smelt divine. And I thought, I'm going to go back tomorrow and make sure I get some of those. And I went back the next day and couldn't find them. There, was, <laughs> there were these funny terracotta-coloured gladiolus, but none of the purple ones I'd seen the night before and couldn't figure it out. And it's the same species. So what they do in the wild, they're moth-pollinated. So they have a perfume at night time um, that attracts moths. I'm not sure why they change colour, though. But during the day, they're a beautiful sort of orange terracotta colour and then at night time they go this most beautiful mauve colour and have the, the perfume um, so when the, the flower I've bought in this morning I've let everyone have a smell and it still had oh, the perfume it on it divine. it's just the most divine perfume beautiful and you can also see now that it even though the flower's looking a bit sad um, it's changed back it's not the dark mauve it's, no. anymore it's gone back to the sort of more terracotta colour it's still a, it's still got a bit of the purple in it Um and I think I've sent some photos on for the Facebook page of, of, of one flower a few years ago. Um, it's one photo in about four different colours. Fantastic. It ranges from... And it's all the same pl- it's all, it's It's not only... So the photos on Facebook that are on the, the uh, Gardening Show web, uh, Facebook page, it's not only the same plant, it's exactly the same flower. So there's four photos. I'm, I'm not sure if they were posted or not, but the... The four photos are the beautiful terracotta orange during the normal daytime. There's the deep mauvey colour at night time. And there's also these intermediate colours that it goes through. Sometimes if there's been a storm early in the morning, there must be something in there. It's sort of a greeny cream colour. Um, And I think I've got another one that's a much darker sort of magenta colour as well. It's just the most amazing plant. That's remarkable, isn't Um, it? So it's a flower that changes colour every day. It goes from one to the other every day. And then if you go out at night time, the perfume's just... It's this sweet sort of freezery, maybe oriental lilium sort of style perfume. It's it's just the most gorgeous plant. Mm. Um, I have a lot of gladiola in my garden. Again, a lot of them came from Greg, and one of the things people don't realise is how beautiful the species gladioli are. They're so oh, yes. small compared to yeah. Edna Everidge's yeah. glads, yes, yes. which are, I find a little bit too loud. For They're the a garden. bit over the top, yeah. I think. Like uh, Edna uh, herself. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Of course. <laughs> and the colour variation on them too. So you can get everything from the most iridescent oranges mm. um, to... There's, I've got another one here... Um, uh, Gladiolus permeabilis, which is, I'm, I'm sure it's a grassland species, so it gets up to a couple of feet tall. And in amongst grass, you'd never see it. Mm. But uh, when you actually do find a flower, the most intricate little markings on the lower petals and the upper petals, and the way the the three little anthers stick out and the stigma splits into three. It's in the, they're in the iris family, so yes. um, they've got all the three threes and all that sort okay. of thing. Um, and, you know, Gladiolus tristis, which is another sort of, uh, like um, Lilaceus, smells at night, it's a moth-pollinated. Um, yes. 
Which, so, one, which one's the Tristus? So Gladiolus Tristus is a sort of an apply, creamy white sort of colour. Um, and the outer petals, of that uh, varies a little bit, but the best ones, the outer petals have got these beautiful dark burgundy veining up on the outside of the petals. Mm. And again, after about, you know, once the day starts to turn into night, they've got this amazing perfume. And um, that you often see that one on the sides of roads too. Yeah, I've seen it referred to as a weed, and I'm sure in some areas it can, like sandy soils, it might move around really well. It doesn't set seed generally, but it does produce a lot of bulbs. So if the bulbs are disturbed, you can end up with big drifts of them. The white one I find not weedy, but it does bulk up a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so and and. Tristus is also the parent plant of a lot of um, of the nice species hybrids. So right, there's some beautiful species yeah, hybrids. Yeah, so that, that's uh, that's in a lot a lot of those as well. Um, so yeah, Glad- Gladys are one of my favourite sort of genuses, and Lilaceus is probably my favourite species mm. of that genus. They're mm. a stunning, stunning plant. And they're so good because they just survive the summer. We don't have to worry about yeah, them yeah, in the summertime. Yeah, yeah, they just die down. They, they just disappear. I love a South African bulb that disappears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do their thing and then they're gone. And, 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 and no matter how bad your garden gets in February, yeah. you know that they will come back next year. And and the, the leaves are very insignificant, so they're not big sort of broad sword-shaped leaves. They're, yes, They're yes. very small, actually quite interesting leaves, but you, you'd ne- if they didn't flower, you'd never see them in, in grass. Um, they just disappear into the grass and, mm. look, yeah, very hard to pick out. Yep. Um, okay, we might just take a break and go to our next caller and we have uh, Doug online out in Ringwood East. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Pam and, and panel. It's lovely to hear your show. I'm the labourer in this garden. My wife's got the... My wife has a lovely garden, but I do the labouring. But <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just wanted to comment on uh, previous discussions with regarding keeping rats out of your root, uh, beetroot, I think it was. Yes. I've been fighting native rats for 50 years since we started this garden, and I've tried everything from chicken wire to bird wire and everything like that, and the blessed things, they climb so well that you, anything that has, a, has anything they can hang on to, they'll just climb up. And I've found the most effective, especially the last few years, around my wife's tomatoes is to use uh, either the old uh, fibreglass roofing material or the current laser light, which is nice and slippery and they can't climb it. And, right. and what I've done is actually cut lengths around about six or 700 mil long and I push it into the ground about oh, 75 mil and just put a fence right around that section of the garden and where the laser light, the panels overlap, I just, on the inside, just stick the edges together, make sure they're nice and neat, but stick the edges together with uh, just the duct tape, yep. the grey duct tape that you get. Now, that's been very, very, very effective with the, with the rats. And uh, Slippery. my wife yep. generally has a fairly good crop of tomatoes, so I thought I'd just add that suggestion for you. Yeah, well, that makes that makes a lot of sense, Doug. Doug, that's yeah, fantastic just, because just I have the, done so the, many the things to Sorry. try and stop them. Sorry, I've done so many things to try and stop them, but that's yeah, well, a really I, so, good so idea. I, I've been fighting the, <laughs> fighting birds in my fruit fruit trees and and rats that climb, you know, 
Birds from the top and rats from the bottom. Yes, yes. I'm much happier. I don't mind losing things to the birds, but I get really no, cross no, with no, the rats. No, no, no. The trouble is, they just come along and pick every second one. I didn't. I wouldn't. If they if they came in and ate one completely, I'd be quite happy. With that. Well, the possums come and just eat the skins off my lemons. Well, yes, and drop the, the whole lemon on the I've ground. I've a little bit of trouble with the possums, mm. but uh, fortunately enough, I've uh, I have a I have a big workshop, and the possums live in there, so we we have an agreement. They can live in there as long as they don't eat my wife. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Sounds I like a good a, arrangement. I make a mess in my workshop, I must admit. <laughs> the aroma some mornings is a little bit... Oh, dear. Open all the windows and doors and everything goes away. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, Doug, thank you so much for that okay, suggestion. Doug, it's that's, great. That's the, best one I, that's the best one I've found. As I say, the, the blessed thing, the only other thing I'd say, make sure that you, you don't have any tall plants in, nearby you know, that they can climb nearby, yes. because they'll climb up that and just jump in. Yeah. And, of course, if they're tomatoes, they'll climb up the tomato plants and jump out when they want to. So Of course, yep. Uh, to stop the blessed things climbing, that's the main thing. Yep, it's all about access. Yeah, okay, that's it. Yep, thanks, okay, Doug. thanks, Doug. No okay, bye. Bye-bye, all the best. Bye. And uh, next we're going to Libby in Brunswick. Good morning, Libby. Hello. Um, I've got a question about a beautiful weeping mature silver birch tree that I've got in my garden. Yes. I'd like to do some succession planning and ideally replace it eventually with a hashed avocado tree. How close could I plant that hashed avocado seedling that I've got now? Is it a seedling from an avocado that you've had yourself? Oh, no, sorry. It's, a, it's not a seedling. It's a grafted tree. Right. Oh, right. Because oh. I was going to say it's not worth... Gr- in a, Good luck. <laughs> in Brunswick, I wouldn't waste the space on something from that you've just grown from... Something you've eaten yourself because they don't okay. always come true. Okay. They get quite um, big. They avocados. get very big. Yes. I'm, I'm quite lucky. I've got a large yard. How big's your silver birch at the moment? Um, it would be 20 or 30 meters tall. Oh wow! It sounds right. beautiful. So oh, the, okay. I, I would say the biggest thing: the silver birches have quite a shallow root system generally, so there's a lot yeah. of stuff up near the surface underneath them. Um, so. Apart from light and everything else, I think if you can work your way around the birch not stealing all the goodies off the, uh, that would be the first thing I'd think of. And well, the other thing I'd mm. think of is is that they both require a fair amount of water. Mm. Yeah. And so um, if you have them too close together, one is going to rob the other of and I moisture. Think the stronger I, one. I think yeah, the stronger one. You'll find that the avocado will win. Yes, Oh, will it? Yes. Silver birch actually are wild in places like Latvia and Lithuania. So the fact that they actually are successful here, well, they're not very successful here because they find our summers so hard. And, yeah, the heat really knocks them about. But the the trick would be getting the avocado started so Mm. it's strong enough to compete with the root system of the birch. I think okay. is, uh, and, and assuming there's enough sun and all the other things, um, but planting it in the ground with the birch, I would have thought that yeah, getting it, getting back, it established might be the the first hurdle. Back in the back in the seventies, I lived in um, Mooney Ponds, without any gladioli, and <laughs> on the lane by me was a Hass avocado. And it kept my household, we were students, and there were seven of us in there, it kept us completely in avocados and everybody else. It wasn't ours, but it was huge. I mean, Mm. they do get big. Oh, they get very big. Once they get going. Yep. Oh, great. That's what I'm looking for. Um, 
Richard, in the meantime, would it be worth putting it in um, a, a plant of edge to give it the raised ground that it likes? Could I plant it? Um, I'd just put that on the surface rather than digging it in near the birch's root. I... I don't like the idea of moving it. I think Mm. you're better off finding the right place for it and getting it in so its roots can go down. Just dig a a really big hole. Yeah, dig a big hole and... (laughs) Prepare the soil, yeah. Put in some compost. Yeah, compost. And when it goes in, give it some um, seaweed. You know, just the normal way you would treat something that's special. All right, great. And don't don't feed it until it's established. Just give it um, seaweed. Okay, and uh, the minimum distance between the, the birch and the avocado? As much as you can give Yes, mm-hmm. as, as much as you can possibly allow, because they're as not going to be happy competing with each other if they're too close. No. All right, great. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. Good luck. Bye. Thank you, bye. That number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through for another... Roughly 25 minutes, so if you'd like to jump on the phones, 94190155 to speak to Chloe, Virginia or Greg. Um, Greg, back to the stinky one now. Yes, so we're at the stinky one. Um, so that's the, the common name's dead horse arum, uh, but it looks more like a pig's bottom, actually, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, Helicodosaurus muscovorus. The one I've bought in has finished. It's It's so... Which is, it could, you wouldn't, we, none of us had been here if it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when they first open, they actually smell like fresh mincemeat, which is really unsettling, I think. Okay. Um, so it's quite a, it's like a open, fresh flesh wound colour. Mm. Um, it's hairy. Right. And it has what looks like a tail, uh, as the spadix, if you know what an aroids, yes, yes. how a aroid flower is made up. So the spadix is this hairy tail looking, Good heavens, you're really selling it, Greg. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's not small either. It's actually quite that's a big, big flower. It's, yeah, and that's a, that's a small the small one. I've I've wow. had them well over a foot long before. Really, gosh. And they open up nearly a foot across. And wow. so when they first open, they're this. It looks like a you know freshly cut bit of steak, but it's got hairs on it. Right. It's it's hairy. <laughs> and you and don't plant it close to the house. No. So when it first opens, smells like fresh mincemeat. And after about six hours. Um, the colour of the the um, spathe changes from this fresh meat colour to an off meat colour. It goes green. Okay. So it's like a flesh fleshy green colour. Goodness. And the smell goes with it, and right. it smells at its worst. It smells like if you left a bag of sausages in a plastic bag oh. on the back seat of your car in the middle of summer for three days. <laughs> It's terrible, and the flies love it. I was going to say, I bet the flies are everywhere. I've got videos of it where all you can hear are these, and that's that's the purpose of the flower. Of course, yes, that's right. They come from the Mediterranean, um, and I think they only grow on small islands in the Mediterranean. And And all the people leave. Yeah, Yeah. uninhabited islands. They they grow on bird nesting islands, and their flowering time is corresponds with bird nesting times. Ah. So they're the idea is that the flies are there to, you know, get the dead chicks and bird poo and all that sort of stuff on these little islands. Right. And they compete really well with that smell. Okay. Um, as a, again, it's a really interesting plant, how it's adapted to get pollinated. So the flies fly in there to the smell and they get trapped in the in the little chamber at the base, which is which quite is why slippery it's so on the hairy. outside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the middle of the spadix has got these little arms that come out to stop the flies crawling out again. Okay. 
and at that stage it's um only only the female part of the flowers ready for action and the hopefully the flies have already got pollen on so they go around there and they flap their wings and hopefully dust the the female parts of the plant and then after about 24 hours the little fingers that had stopped the flies getting out earlier shrivel and all the anthers open and all the pollen's released and then the flies crawl up the center shaft and get covered in pollen and hopefully go to another flower and Good go through heavy. the same wow. process. Nature is so clever. Yeah. yeah, and they also have a symbiotic relationship with a lizard on some of these islands oh, really? that protect the flowers from getting eaten. Okay. And then later in the season, the lizards actually eat the fruit and go and deposit the seed in the cracks Gosh, of the rocks. That, so, wow, that is an amazing story. Yeah. So, and the, the flowers have, uh, from what I've read, have a, a an isotope of potassium that's radioactive and they can actually most arums, uh, aroids have this as well um and they the lizards actually c- can often sleep inside the flowers or near the flowers because they're a bit warmer they're about three or four degrees warmer than okay. the ambient temperature around too so they're yeah really bizarre plant but i just thought there was i remember reading in one of my favorite aroid books it's, it's only short. Uh, it's by E.A. Bowles, who, okay. w- who was one of the, probably the, one of the first people in England to, to grow these things. Had a famous garden. Yes. Um, so he wrote of it, it's the most fiendish plant I know, the sort of thing Beelzebub might pluck to make a bouquet for his mother-in-law. <laughs> a, ming- a mingling of unwholesome greens, purples and pallid pinks, the livery of putrescence. It only exhales its stench for a few hours after opening. And during this time, it is better to stand far off and view it through a telescope. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, after reading that, I thought I, I, I have to have one of those. Fantastic. Um, and, and so when they finish, they sort of close themselves up like this one is now. Right. And I'm scared to open it in case it's full of maggots and things. Yeah, yeah, so we I'll won't leave, open I'll it. leave it closed. <laughs> yeah. So question, it does, in, it does help the flies breed as well? No, well, there's nothing for the maggots to eat. Ah. So the maggots starve. Yeah. Oh, good. I love yeah. starved maggots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and aroids do that a lot. There's a little mouse plant too, which imitates fungi. And where it comes from in the Mediterranean, fungus gnats, uh, there's a species of fungus gnat that pollinate it. And so the fungus gnats come along and get up inside the flower and think it's the underside of a fungus and try and lay their larvae in there or do lay their larvae, but they all die because there's no fungus to eat. Mm. Oh, excellent. So, Greg, do do we have a species of lizard that has the same symbiotic relationship to No, no, and I've never got viable seed off these either. It might be just because I've only got one clone and they need some extra help from outside to to get some seeds Or maybe maybe it's a more specific fly? It would be... uh, The the flies definitely um, get in there and do their thing, but but the lizard, it would be... a specific yes uh species of lizard that only lives on those islands yes, and it right. might only it mightn't do the whole genus of where in its where it's distributed in the mediterranean it might be just to a couple of islands where they've um particularly taken to each other yes, but it right. certainly works well for both because the, the lizards just live off the flies yeah that that uh you know the odd fly that comes in because oh. there's plenty of flies around there's, yeah, there's exactly. uh, easy to share wow and then um, does it go dormant yeah, and again, it's another Mediterranean climate thing that doesn't need any water in summer. So once it's finished flowering, the leaves... That, actually, that's another thing. The leaves are really beautiful too. They're these big um, uh, palm-leafed shaped, 
you know, they can be a couple of feet across. Gosh. Absolutely stunning leaves. And another thing with aroids is when they're unfurling themselves after dormancy, when they're coming into growth, they're like, um, you know, a satellite getting uh, folding out in space. They're, just, all right. they're all tucked in yeah. into these buds. And then when the bud, you know, the, leaves, the leaf will crack out that way and then open up this way and then unfold out this side and then fold out this way. How they're most amazing. amazing. A lot of the, especially the arasamas, I've got a, an arasama I bought in too. Um, watching arasamas unfold is just the most amazing thing. It's probably, it's almost better than the flower. Like just mm. watching how they're packed in and how they unfold themselves yes. and, and puff themselves up when they're, when they're opening. It's wow. uh, amazing genus, a uh, family of plants. Of yes. Aeroids. Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. What a story. <laughs> I'm really impressed. But don't plant them close to the house. Yes. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Although anything so cool. that kills a, a fly has to be a good thing. Well, mm. it doesn't actually kill them. It just holds them hostage. And, and then the other, releases them. Yeah. Don't forget. And the so. other thing is, is even though the maggots might not survive. That's what I like to see die. The, the actual base of the spadix also has a nectary that feeds the flies. So they're actually the flower itself feeds the adult flies. It doesn't take care of the maggots, of course, but mm. the, the flies themselves get a little feed when they're trapped in there for 24 hours as so well. So it gives, it gives the flies a vacation. Yeah, it's like a little <laughs> feed bin at the bottom. Yeah. They kind of sit at, yeah. Keep them in there, feed them up, and then release them yeah, two yeah. days later after they've done their <laughs> yeah, job. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. It is, isn't it? Ever. Yeah. Uh, okay, Chloe, I know you can't match that, but you've no. brought in oh, a couple thanks, of plants Pam. too. I'll try to match it. <laughs> <laughs> Where we start? Okay, so I bought in, um, we'll go with the showy one. I bought in a laburnum. It's, you know, it's a common old laburnum, but they're so pretty at this time of year. They, they are, flower for they? three weeks of the year and look pretty average for the other 47 <laughs> weeks or whatever. Um, but they've, they've got this, they're a pea plant, absolutely bright yellow, and they've a long raceme, I think it is called, full of beautiful little pea flowers. And it flowers for three weeks of the year in November and then is is deciduous over winter. And and that's about it. But the flowers are just beautiful. We've got along the driveway at home with um, freesia roses, standard oh, freesia wow. roses. And they're flowering at the same time, so they're both so the, the same yellow shade of yellow. yellow. Yeah. yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. It's, it's just, I love it. I get so excited when it does. When mm. it does come to open up, mm. um, and the, you see them in Britain a lot as, as a walk. Well, well yes, I was just going to say, yeah. so I was working at Forest Glade uh, one day a week now, and they've got one that's uh, about I think it's about fourteen trees on each side. It might be Gosh. actually more, but it's quite long. Yes, it's, it's yeah, be maybe fifteen or twenty meters long. Beautiful, maybe even a bit more. Must look beautiful at the moment. And I was going to say that yeah. they're actually the roadies at Forest Glade are looking. Really amazing, but yeah, if you wanted to see a really impressive Laburnum archway, Forest Glade's probably uh, mm. it's in the top lawn at Forest Glade. There's Where a big one there. Where is Forest Glade? That's up at Mount Macedon. Okay, and is it open? It's open every day. Yeah, yeah. It's a so bit closer than Wales. There's a garden. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, I always see this photo of a garden in Wales that has this huge Laburnum arch, and you just and the flowers just popping through yeah. or dropping through, and it just. It, is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So ba- basically in a garden, um, most, most growers use it equivalent to how they would use a wisteria. Yes. Um, yep. Because it has the same long hanging um, bunches of, of, of blooms um, and, and it performs in much the same way. Yes. 
we've got it as a, it's a tree at home and it's yes. really it's they're really slow growing as well yeah but yeah uh, over arches they're they're just beautiful just stunning well i've planted something really unusual and which is a laburnocystis it is a I've heard of this. it's a mm. chimera or chimera there's only two of them, I think, in the world. It's, it's, a, it's a, a freak of semi-nature. A, a freak of semi-nature. Yeah. Somebody's grafted uh, a cistus, which is the broom, yes, a pink cistus onto a yellow laburnum. Back in the 1800s, he was a Frenchman. Right. And one branch had both flowers, both the cistus flower and the laburnum flower on it. Right. And I have bought that. Wow. The one that I've bought has come from that plant in France in the 1800s. How on earth did because you get it, hold of that? Well, no, but oh, they've, they've been, been breeding it ever yeah, since. Yeah, yeah. It's the only one. It's never happened again right. to this particular. And I bought it bare-rooted. I hate buying bare-rooted plants because yes, so you do just I. never know. And, I mean, it seems to be... I showed it to you, didn't I? No, you didn't. I didn't. Oh, it's down How on rude. the dam. So. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Yeah. And so it has, it has both the purple... And the um, pink flowers at the same time. Oh, I thought that was a fake Photoshop when I saw it. <laughs> no, no, it's real. Oh, cool. His name was Henri, the Frenchman. Right. right. And, it, and I've, I've ne- I, Sue saw it. I've never seen it, and I've talked about it, and I've talked to Sue about it, and she, said, and she rang me out and said, I've seen it. I'll buy it for you. Mm. <laughs> so I'm hoping the fact it was bare-rooted doesn't mean that it's going to struggle. How long have you had it in for? Um, a month. Okay. And so it's, it's a new it one. It still has bub, bul, um, buds on it, so I'm assuming okay. it's made it. But when I planted it, I couldn't see any little white roots, you know. Yes. So I'm a bit worried mm. that it mightn't make it. Because, you know, if somebody takes out another plant out of the bare-rooted pile and lets oxygen into, into there, there. Yeah. it's yeah. just exactly. it's not a good way to sell no, plants. No. And, our, and we don't ever get quite cold enough. We're, they're not totally dormant in the way they are in... Yeah. In freezing old yes. Britain. And, and even in the shade, you just need a slightly dry breeze r- flowing through yes. wherever they're selling them. Yes, and, to dry out and the roots. have those roots exposed to, yes. and, it, and they dry out within yeah, a few minutes and mm, yes. do some damage. So I'm or worried. Set, that back, set them back at least anyway. So yeah. we'll cross our fingers because it'll be wonderful. And I've planted it, I've put it, a table down by my dam and I've planted it on the west of the table because it, it'll give wonderful shade because they're big trees. Okay. It'll give wonderful shade in summer and all the sun will get through in winter. The perfect plant. Yeah. With yellow and pink flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just keep the snails off them. Because I know with, and with yes. the laburnums as well, the sna- you'll see the snails go up the trunk. Yep. And so it's, it's the only tree I know that you have to be careful with snails. <laughs> yeah, totally. And the bees love this as well. In, um, at this time of year when they're flowering, the bees are just all over it. So, I mean, springtime the bees for bee time as well. But mm. I have got so many bees in my garden this year. It's yeah. absolutely fabulous. And they stay away from you when they're busy pollinating all the flowers. So it's nothing to be scared of. No, bees exactly. exactly. I love bees. Yeah. I love bees I love and I love bees frogs. Too. If I've got them, I think my garden's healthy. Yes. So is the, is the laburnum, um, can it also... Um, be susceptible to wind like um, wisterias I mean guaranteed mm. my wisteria will just come out and we'll get, we'll well, get a windy day and well, you, you get know, such spring storms here don't you we do and we do bang, and yeah. All, yeah all the petals have gone yes, I've got a great big white wisteria but um, some people that I know have got wisterias that are just completely decimated by the parrots really yeah yeah completely Eddie 
who was one of the guys. Yes, yes, yes. Eddie, just day after day, he would just say, they've done it again. Oh, no. Gets up in the morning and there's just wisteria flower My all over had the a, ground. I had one of the big white ones flower recently and the deer came and ate them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He got. He saw them. He goes. I'll go and look at them tomorrow. And then he went down the next day, and all the flowers are gone, oh, and the no. deer had eaten them. Yeah. Oh, that's Good. terrible. Isn't There's it? one in the botanic gardens, which is over a hundred foot high. Right. Wisteria. I mean. Yes. It's yeah. grown up. One. It's obviously. I've was, seen that one. Yes. Yeah. It was planted a very long time ago, mm. and it's gone all the way up a pinus Pine, radiata. Yes. Mm. So a really boring tree, pinus radiata. That's the pine tree that is grown as a crop. Yes. Mm, for the wood industry, but there's this huge wisteria gone right up to the very top so when it's in flower it's it just beautiful. looks amazing mm. yeah mm. Yes. Fantastic. the wind will knock around the flowers yes. and you know makes a mess of the driveway but not the plant the plant's pretty the strong plant's right. might knock yeah. around the plant if it's growing over an arbor and and maybe a little bit well if it's not well attached i not guess not well attached yeah. Yeah. yeah but the tree's fine yeah. the tree's strong very, very strong. Okay. Yeah. Let's have a chat about the kangaroo paw. Mm-hmm. The kangaroo paw. All right. So this is a dwarf form of kangaroo paw. My friend gave it to me as a just as, as a gift about ten years ago, and it's a dwarf kangaroo paw. Dwarf kapors are known to be very, very, very short-lived and difficult yes. to grow. And she gave it to me. She's my best friend, so I can say this. And I I looked at it and thought, that's really lovely, but. Oh, damn, it's going to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just chucked it. I just chucked it in the garden and it's still growing. It's this, I haven't seen the variety since and it's a weird French name. I can't pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. Um, <laughs> it's a red, it has a red flower and beautiful sort of yellowy green on the inside. Um, and it is so prolific in its flowering. Really? It's just beautiful. And for years and years and years, because it was is apparently so temperamental. I didn't prune or anything and it's still, um, it, it's still, you know, flowered year after year. Um, and then a couple of years ago it was starting to get a little bit straggly. So I, I cut it off at the base after it had finished flowering and it just comes back with a vengeance now. Oh, and wonderful. Well, you, you obviously had exactly the right spot for it. I think the spot I put it in is a garden bed that's quite well drained anyway. Right. Um, it does get, it sort of get the, late morning most of the morning sun but it doesn't get the hot afternoon sun and it's just it's just continuing and the only other um smaller kangaroo paw variety that i know of that's long lived is bush pearl the pink one uh, which is when people in the nursery are looking to buy a small kangaroo paw that's yeah that's the one that i'll direct them to because the others and unless you're happy to buy something and treat it as an annual or a two-year yes, grower, yes. Um, that's okay. But if you want something that's smaller and longer-lived, then, you know, the, the bush pearl is I w- better. I won't go near the small KPs. I just yeah. assume that they will die on me. Yeah, well, that's what I thought when I was gifted this. <laughs> and um, it just keeps surviving. It doesn't look like it's going to die soon. How, does one, how does one prop it? Uh, you would divide it. Um, Have you tried that? No, I haven't. I, I, well, I haven't touched it. I haven't wanted to touch it too yes. much no, in case I it dies. I wouldn't tempt fate. No, because it's such a beautiful little plant. It's a beautiful. Um, it's quite a darker red with you know orangey bits of orangey in it. I haven't wanted to ruin it. And the stems are red too. It's um, very pretty. Which are really nice. It is very, pretty, very, very dark, quite striking, dark, bronzy red. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
I just, I love it. Maybe I'll send some of it. Um, the PBR's probably run out. I should send some plant to a grower and try to get them to grow it again. Mm. Um, I could probably find the name somewhere, but it's it's a fantastic little plant. It should be, I haven't seen it before or since. Well, Sue is one of our best prop people. I might send mm-hmm. it to Sue. Mm. Yeah, do some research and see if she can or grow it. Or what's her face in Karanga? Yes, or up there. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. I should, because it's, yeah. It's a beautiful it little red. It is lovely. Yeah, it's so and cute. It's and the flower, um, the photo I sent into Facebook is the photo of it in my garden, and it's in full flower at the moment too. So it's looking really nice. And and that's a timely reminder too for listeners that uh, that if you do want to have a look at some of the plants we've been talking about, do do pop online. If you've got if you're on Facebook, just type in 3CR Gardening Show and whatever plants we've been talking about during the morning should all be there. Um, ready for you to have mm. a look at what we're exactly what we're we're talking about. So Plus a bit more because we don't often get around to everything. <laughs> yeah. do that's we? right. That's right. So you might find some extras in there. But um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep, Okay. Greg, let's get back to a couple more that you've got there. Um, the next one I think I'll talk about because it's a bit different is uh, a plant called Geyseriser radians. Um, the cool name, name, yeah, Very the cool name Geyseriser actually refers to the bulb which are tiny little things. They're related to Ixias and Hesperantha and things like that. Okay. Um, this one comes from wetlands, so it's the sort of bulb that when it's growing, it actually likes being in water. It's almost like a water oh. plant, a bog plant. Um, so it probably in the wild would grow in floodplains um, okay. where it's quite wet. Um, but obviously drying out, it needs to be dr- completely dry in summer as well. Um, like a lot of those bulbs, but the, the shape of it, so the, the bulbs are only about pea size at absolute biggest and often quite sm- uh, a lot smaller than that. But the name Geyser Riser actually refers to the, um, the tops of the bulbs look like the little, uh, like little huts with tiles on them. They, okay. So they, um, it's a similar shape to a tulip bulb, but a bit yep. more rounder. Yep. And the scales on the top of the bulb look like little roof tiles. Fantastic. Um, and, yeah, very interesting-looking little bulbs, and that's the, apparently what the name means is um, the rises, the root, and the geyser must make, be some Greek or Latin term for roof tile a particular type of yes, roof tile. Yes, yes. Um, this little one, so Radians is probably one of the prettiest it of the geyser rises. It's absolutely gorgeous. And, yes. and, and a lot of... The, so it's uh, predominantly a bluish... Uh, purpley Purple. sort of colour. Mm. The centre, however, is scarlet red, mm. and there's a little white band between the two colours. So it's one of those bulbs that uh, closes at night, opens during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to keep going over long periods of time. You've got to pollinate and collect them and okay. collect the seed and sow the seed constantly, or else you'll lose them. The bulbs mm. only live for a couple of years, right. it seems. Um, yep. So my big stock pot that I've had for a few years I went looking for it the other day and there's basically nothing in it and this little pot I've got here is actually the seedling pot. And you've no idea the state of the pot, listeners. Yes, yeah, that's, <laughs> in uh, that's a, re- pot. a recycled pot. And uh, I went well to pull trained. it. I, I went to pull it out of the crate that it was in, and the edges just started busting up. So I had to remove all the other pots around it oh. to get to it because <laughs> oh. I couldn't pull it up. It just kept falling to pieces. Um, but. Uh, so, yeah, it's one of those ones that is, I think Gary Reed from Obscure Bowls yes, is probably about yeah. one of the only people that would sell it. Um, I don't sell them because it's, it's sort of hard to sell something that you know is going to die in a year or so. Yes. <laughs> I find that 
Um, people sort of buy you, pansies, though. Yeah, that's true. But but it, I think it's a sort of thing you're better off actually buying seeds of. And mm. that way, if you buy a seed of it, and, and a lot of these bulbs are too, if you buy the seeds, um, you don't get a flower for a couple of years. Mm. But you a can lot establish the, time. the colony. But but you that's what you do. So if you if you buy a single bulb, so some of these bulbs are quite rare, and you can pay ten or fifteen dollars each for them. If you buy one bulb, you've only got one clone. That's right. And you've mm. got to gen, often rely just on division to make your clump. If you get seeds, you might have to wait a couple of years for it to flower. But when they start flowering, you've got a um, a gene pool. You've yes. actually got genetic differences. Yes, you've got and a, you a viable can, colony. Yeah. Yes. And then you can produce your own seed. Mm. And in 10 years with seed, you can have, if you try, a quite a big clump of something, mm. depending on what it is, um, where from just division, um, Narcissus cyclamenis was like that for me. I've had one, I bought one bulb when I was about 15, again from Stephen, and... Um, I think I had enough to sell some about four or five years ago, but I'd also been collecting seed off them. And once the seed started flowering, I had well over 100. So I went from like 10 bulbs to 150 bulbs in a couple of years, just right. from growing them from seed. Yes. So it took all that time to get a clump yep. from one up to about 15 or 20 or whatever. Fantastic. With seeds, but all of a sudden I've got hundreds of them. So growing bulbs from seeds is a really good way, and probably other plants too, I'd imagine. Mm. Do the flower colours vary if you do grow them by seed, or are they like that the, all the time? This particular species is like that all the time. It's just, That's what the species looks like, and yep. there's, I'm sure there's some variation in the intensity of the colour and things like that. You but, had uh, another flower that was very like that, but that was bigger. Um, is there several in that? There's a few different... So there's a Babiana that looks similar to this. Oh, right. It's got similar colourings. Um... But I'm just trying to think of the one, the other one that you meant that that's had the. There might have been a crocus that's got similar colouring, but they wouldn't have the red in it. There might be no, a different colour in I the. I cannot remember what it is. Yeah, because I know have, there's you, definitely a babiana always, that's got the very similar colour. You've always had colours. such unusual bulbs, Greg. Yeah, and this the, the other fun with this one is that it opens, you know, like it, it was it closes overnight, then when it warms up or the sun hits it, it opens up. And it's another one of those species too. I'm not sure this one particularly does it much, but some of the geyseriasis and hesperanthas uh, go to single pollinators. So they, they'll share pollinators between species. So one species will open between like two and four in the afternoon and the next one will open up at four and stay open till six. Wow. <laughs> and they actually have open and closing times. Yes. <laughs> so they're, um, That's fantastic. If you want to see them open, like hesperantha cuculata, opens at six in the afternoon. So all day it's just these tight buds. Yep. And you go at six and they're all open. There's white everywhere. <laughs> there's a big flush of white. And then you come Amazing. back the next morning and there's, they're, they're all, all closed, closed up. up tight again. Yeah. <laughs> where where does this grow naturally in the world? Uh, South Africa. Right. Yeah. So as I say, it's probably a wetland um, species, so floodplains and things like that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, down South Africa somewhere, I'm not really sure exactly what okay. part of South Africa it comes from, but I would say floodplains by the what it likes to grow, mm. yeah. So for listeners, I mean, because a lot of listeners are really quite um, timid about growing things from seed, um, and, and I'm just wondering, can you go through, if, if you were collecting seed, how would you actually set about collecting it and how would you actually sow it? Yeah, so, so the first thing would be to make sure they're pollinated. So I'd get a little tiny paintbrush and just go and tickle all the flowers yep. in case the bees haven't done it. But yep. for most of these things, especially if there's a lot of flowers all at once and the bees are around, it usually gets done anyway, but to make sure, little yep. paintbrush go around. Yep. Then 
you need to keep an eye on the seed, the pods, as they develop, because some of them, once they're open, the seed are gone. That's it. You've lost it. So often you're better off waiting for it to nearly ripen, then pick the whole stem and put it in a dry paper bag to fully okay, ripen yes, in the bag. Yes, so captured it. Um, you keep the seed dry through the season, through the warmer months, because if you think these are dry climate plants, uh, dry, you know, Mediterranean climate plants, so yes, it's sure. dry in summer, keep them uh, in a cool, dry place over summer. So would you just store it in a in a yeah, paper bag or, or something? Paper yeah, bag. Yeah. yeah, don't let them sweat. No plastic yes, could be yes. paper or okay. something like that. So cool, dry place over summer. Sow them in autumn and put them out in the elements. Um, so right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. Yeah. So okay. So so the mid mid autumn, uh, usually fairly shallow. Depending if it's really small seed, I'd put them more shallow. If it's bigger seed, sometimes a you can put them deeper. a little bit deeper. And just a, but just that's a, just generalisation. A seed raising mix of some sort, or I'd, yeah, something fairly fine. Yep. Um And the other thing is, you want to leave them, put them in a. So I I usually sow into six inch pots, and right. I use sand based potting mix. And I often also add scoria, which I sieve into it. So I sieve out all the big bits. Yep. And I use the big bits on top as mulch. Ah, okay. So mm. you, you put a fine dusting of potting mix over the top of the actual seed and then you put maybe a centimetre of the sort of thicker scoria that's got all the little bits wa- washed out or yep. shaken out. Yep. As mulch on the top, and the bulbs can easily grow through that through to it. the light. Yes, right. And it keeps the seeds. I mean, you look at this pot I've got here, and there's it's, there's more weeds in it than there are actually <laughs> plant. But for that first year, it's really important not to have those. Yes, so if you put okay. that mulch down there, it stops a lot of the other seeds coming up through it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, for most bulbs, leave it in that pot for at least a couple of years. Let the let the bulbs, even if you lose a few from overcrowding you're better off leaving them to establish a little clump in that pot before you tap them out. And you also can take notice of what depth they are uh, because all you know different species grow at dif- different depths. So you can often, if you're carefully sorting through the pot, you can see how far that's, you know, it was at the, you know it was at the surface when you sowed it. If it's a few inches down, that's where you plant it in your next pot. And also some of these bulbs, you don't throw out the potting mix because they're such small bulbs, some of these things, Yes. that you can pick out the big ones to make sure you've got the best ones, but don't throw out the potting mix. Because you'll somewhere still find something in there. You'll always yes. miss them. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Fantastic. Just, well, like, just like Oxalis. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a fantastic project for some of our listeners. Mm. Mm. And, uh, and where do you think people would be able to buy some of these? The, this, so South African bulbs, I reckon the best place is Silver Hill Seeds in South Africa. I'm not sure about the quarantine, the importing laws for Australia anymore because I haven't done it for a few years and I know they keep changing and getting harder and harder. So I'm not sure how you would go about that because I haven't done it for a few years and okay. I know it's changed. And in, in, in Australia, is there anyone? Not many seeds, no. I Keep your eye out. As I say, maybe... Uh, uh, Jane and Shirley Tonkin are always good people mm. to go to. They've got really nice, interesting stuff. I'm not sure they really do seeds so much, but... But you could get a couple of bulbs. You, you can get the bulbs from them, Well, yeah. and, and, and Tonkins are going to be up at the Yarra Valley um, mm. Plant Fair next and they, weekend. And they do grow stuff from seed to themselves, so they do have... So buy a couple actually, of bulbs from them and you might get, a, you you might might get, get that claim. I actually anyway. have okay. the Tonkins phone number too. Okay. Which is 9728... One two nine five, 
So it's worth yeah. giving them a ring. And they're the time. nicest people on earth. Well, so yes, it's the best exactly. Place to buy bulbs from, I think. Yeah. So if there was something in particular you wanted, they may then be able to bring it across to the Yarra Valley Plant Fair next yep. weekend yep. for you. Yeah. Mm. And another person would be Gary Reid. If and I, and yes. I haven't seen Gary in for a couple Albury, of years either. Somewhere up there, yes. Alan's Flat, I think it is. Yeah, that's right, Alan's Flat. flat. Yeah. And I don't know how to. He's notoriously hard to get a hold of, Gary, unless you see him at a rare plant fair. So, um, but again, really nice. Gary and Sue are often at some of those rare, rare plant fairs. Yes. And Gary's always got something that I've never seen before and mm. really interesting. And, and, and he often has seeds as well because he's quite uh, particular about collecting seeds as okay. well. Okay. Yeah. Let me quickly give the Tonkins bulb number again. 97281295. Okay. Well, would you believe we've run out of time for another week? It's been a fascinating morning. Um, a big thank you to the team, to Chloe, Virginia and Greg, and a huge thank you to Louise, who's been handling all the calls for the morning. We will, of course, be back uh, next week at 7.30, so tune in then. Till then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.